Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On today's show, we are not discussing the second leg of the Copa de Libertadores final, because as I'm sure you know by now, it didn't happen. Um, instead, we are discussing the chaos around it. And with me to discuss that is, first of all, a man based in Argentina, and that is Tom Nash. How are you, Tom? Hello, Adam. Thanks for having me on again. Um, very well. Obviously, uh, deep uh, into some very controversial conversations today about this game, and uh, it's the only thing that's been talked about in Argentina. So, uh, yeah, I have lots of information to discuss. Where did you see it all unfold? Were you just sitting at home, or were you in the streets throwing stuff at the Boca bus? What was that? I I did throw a few things at the Boca bus. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm only joking. Um, I was at home, uh, and I was I actually lived very close to the River Stadium, so about three or four hours before the game, I took a walk around the neighbourhood uh, when it was all still relatively peaceful and sort of carnival atmosphere was still around. Um, but then, yeah, I just watched it from home um, because most of the bars, it's sort of the opposite to UK football culture. Um, the closer you get to a stadium, the more likely the bars are to close because... Obviously, they attract uh, the wrong type of customer on a match day, so they, they tend to close. So, yeah, my, my neighbourhood, it's really you have to watch it at home if you haven't got a ticket for the game. Cool, cool. And, um, and Austin, how are you? Where are you joining us from tonight? I'm joining you from the same place I've been joining you for a couple of weeks. I, th- I think you view me as some sort of world traveller, but those days may be done for me, Adam. I'm settled down at least for now, but quite happy. Uh, I've got a, a can of Guarana beside me, the Brazilian soda. It's a celebratory can. Palmeiras won the league yesterday, so I was pretty excited about that. There was actual football played in Brazil. Uh, so I'm doing well, considering the circumstances. Cool. Congratulations on, on that. And, uh, and Simon, how's it going there in Colombia? It's good. It's good. It's a bit rainy, but uh, we're getting ready for Christmas. So constant fireworks from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, on the... First of December, it's just constant. Like the whole sky is full of fireworks. Actually, goes back to a mafia boss who went to show his power by setting off fireworks all over the city to show how powerful he was. But it's become a tradition, as as with many of these mafia things in Medellin. So, yeah, lots and lots of fireworks here. Looking forward to Christmas and uh, you know, finishing off the Colombian league season and uh, discussing this Libertadores nonsense. But hey, looking forward to it. The Christmas spirit alive and well. Okay, um, let's get. Let's get on to discussing the fiasco, chaos, whatever you want to call it, um, which stopped this Copa Libertadores finale happening. So, if we just recap, first of all, you know, we had that first leg delayed by torrential rain, discussed that on the previous pod. We then had a pretty entertaining encounter on the on the Sunday, 2-2. We then had to wait, you know, two weeks for this second leg. I think the build-up there in Argentina, um, Tom, was, it was hyperbolic, no? I think is, is, is the right word. And, and do you think the media had a role to play in hyping this fixture up too much, basically? You know, I, I think they called it, what, the final of all finals and the finale at the end of the world, however you want to translate what it was. And, uh, and therefore kind of egged on the fans into the behaviour that we saw 
outside the stadium um, on on Saturday. Yes, uh, I think the media do have a part to play for this. Um, really, ever since this fixture was confirmed on, I think it was either the 31st of October or the 1st of November, the Argentine media have really run out of adjectives to describe it. It's been described as the mega final, uh, the super final, uh, the final of finals, the final of the century, the final of all time, and then the one you were getting up there, la, la final del mundo, which is uh, the, the final of the world, but it, it's a play on words that those of you who speak Spanish yeah, might have exactly. understood. It, it's, uh, well, it's, a, it's a play on words as yeah, the end of the world. Yeah. Austin, what, what are your views on, on, on this? Do you think the media had their part to play in, in what we saw? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult, Adam, because it was always going to be so highly hyped because it is Boca River, but it's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg, in that Boca River is Boca River, but why is it Boca River? Does the media play some part in that? Sure, but I mean, was it ever going to be anything else, I guess, is what should the media have done differently? I, I don't think it's necessarily a fair question to ask because when these two teams meet anytime, it's it's a huge deal. So, of course, them meeting in the final was going to be a massive deal. And I don't know that any sort of decisions made as far as terminology or the hyperbolic sense of it all would have ended up making a difference in the end, at least from my perspective, from where I sit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's very difficult. Um, I think was so much involved in the game and there was so much excitement. And obviously there's such a thin line between what we love and what we're embarrassed by and what we, we dislike and what we're concerned about in stadiums and in, in these kind of atmospheres in South America that it's such a thin line. I do think that the, the media really hyped it up, but, um, generally in a positive way, but I think there were clear warning signs in terms of the game that, uh, you know, looking at the, pre- the the media coverage, I was like, it can't be that bad. Like, it can't really, like, boil it. You know, it's going to be crazy, but, we, you know, the Boca game had its issues, but it went okay. Um, but to uh, have the game actually not happen because of these issues... Um, you know, the, the, definitely the media was building up, but I, you know, I think people in the, I think there's other fingers to point, um, but the media definitely did play a role. I mean, Tom, how was it reported, and and how was, how did that feed into the reaction from the authorities, from the fans, from everybody there in Argentina? Well, yeah, one point I wanted to add as well is that um, the players and the clubs themselves have have actually sort of hit back at the media for the way they've covered it. Marcelo Gachardo, the River manager, was interviewed uh, late on Saturday evening once the the postponement was finally confirmed around 7 or 8 o'clock. He did a a quick 5 or 10 minute interview with Fox News, the broadcaster of the game. And, you know, they, they had an exchange of questions and you can imagine what all those questions were. And he just said, actually, before I go, can I just ask one point? Um, can you stop calling this the, the La Final del Mundo, as we just talked about? Can you can you stop calling this the end of the world or the final to end all finals? This is the final of the Copa Libertadores. Uh, please use its name correctly and stop trying to call it things that it isn't. So you know the the uh, the coaches and, and and the players and the staff were were all very wary as well that the media had fed into this climate of trying to hype it up as much as possible, really. Yeah. Um- we saw a kind of huge presence of journalists from all around the world in Buenos Aires for, for this final. 
you know, in, in the lead up to the game, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the videos posted certainly by the British journalists who were there, who were kind of perplexed, I think could be the word, by kind of a passion on show from the Boca fans who who could pack out a stadium illegally, I think we should add here, and um, and sing and shout for hours just for a training session. Um, and I... And this is where, personally, I think, you know, you can see why the media built this up. Because I, I don't think, there's very few fixtures in the world where you get such fandom on on both sides. But not only that, you also get, and, and, and we and we'll cover this point later on in the pod, I think. It's difficult to explain to people who maybe haven't been there or don't follow South American football just how much you know the two sides really hate each other, and that's really the the major context for me in this match. So, yeah, you, know, you could pretty much try and take as many measures around this fixture as possible, but I think what you always will end up with is a fairly kind of unsafe environment for for a football match, given the size of the occasion. You know, especially this second leg where, you know, as we've discussed on this pod before, where the fear of losing it almost kind of outweighs the, the possible glory of winning it. No? Well, and Adam, the thing for me is you only have to look back to 2015 to see the last time River Boca boiled over in the Libertadores. That, of course, was in a round of 16 tie, but Boca were kicked out of the Libertadores because some of their fans put a homemade pepper spray mixture into the tunnel between the dressing room and the field of play. And that's where I think it's it's hard to see, it's difficult to see people, you know, kind of saying, oh, the occasion was just too big, the occasion was just too big well the occasion was river boca and river boca is kind of always this and that's where i think it's difficult to try to put it into context because it is so different than anything else that you see anywhere else and whenever these two teams meet it will boil over you know they met they meet in friendlies and players are sent off and you can't just play a friendly between these two sides and so that's where I think it, it gets difficult to try to contextualize this. And, and Tom, I, I think you'll be in a good position to do this as, as someone who does follow River and is in Buenos Aires. It can't really be compared to anything else. And, and so I think that's where these hyperbolic statements do kind of are rooted in truth because it is so big and it is such a big deal. It is absolutely, Austin. Yeah, it is such a massive deal um, in in Argentina, for the whole of South America, really, not just for Argentina. It's it's a derby and a, a match that really resonates across the continent all the way up to, to Colombia, and you'll be able to confirm this as well, Simon. Um, but w- one thing that is, one perspective I would share from Argentina is that um, many of the derbies, many of the big derbies in the country also experience high levels of violence as well. Um, obviously, Boca River is the only Argentine derby that the world media is concerned about. But when you live here and you see some of the other derbies, uh, particularly uh, there was a case a few weeks ago where the Rosario derby between Rosario Central and Newell's, they played a Copa Argentina quarterfinal, which is the equivalent of an FA Cup quarterfinal or a Copa del Rey quarterfinal. Uh, these games are always played on neutral territory. 
Um, and between the clubs, they actually had to agree to play it uh, down in Buenos Aires at the stadium of Arsenal de Sarandí, which is a small team that's now in the second division. They played it at three o'clock on a working Thursday afternoon and they played it behind closed doors. So that's the level that all Argentine derbies have reached in terms of security and violence is that uh, a quarter final between those two teams just couldn't be played with a crowd and it couldn't even be played behind closed doors in their own city in Rosario. They brought it to Buenos Aires and then played it behind closed doors. So and that just was, shows you that. And there were still some fans who had got some kind of vantage point and managed to let off flares and, and all sorts of <laughs> overlooking the game yeah. from a distance there were yeah there were people it's, it's a sort of argentine tradition to, to go on the nearest tall building and just watch the view that you have you might only see a quarter of the pitch but you can still at least see something so yeah there were there were people watching that one from buildings it was it was quite a strange spectacle um i have a, have a question i mean here in colombia in medellin specifically obviously the derby was very very dangerous at times and away fans were also banned for five or six years <clears throat> and it was a long-term project to make it possible for away fans to go to the stadium again and it was achieved through working closely with the barras the leaders of the barras the local government the police to to make it like a real joint effort because i know here in medellin for example the barras dictate so much of what happens on game day in terms of tickets, in terms of organization security. They're heavily involved in working with the police to be the kind of the focal point for all of those efforts. And, and they work with the club and the, the local government. And creating a safe atmosphere in the derby here in Medellin has all come from the Barras and, a, and them policing their own members and policing their own supporters groups and the hierarchy that exists within these groups. How how have they been involved in these incidents? Were they? Is there any indication that they were directly involved in the particular incident? Other in incidents of violence? Do they play a positive role or a negative role in dealing with these issues of violence and fan clashes? Because my experience in Medellin is that they can be the solution, but obviously when it breaks down, then this is a very influential group with the potential to create big problems as well. Um, at the moment, they would be considered a problem more than a, more than a helping hand. Maybe that, that could happen in the future. Maybe they could become a helping hand in resolving this problem. But no, at the moment, they're viewed very negatively. Um, it's interesting that the mayor of Buenos Aires spoke today and he blamed this violence on Saturday on the river, the river Barra Brava uh, organization. Uh, because just a few days before the game, there was a raid on the house of one of the leaders of the River Barra. And they found in the house uh, millions of pesos. Uh, I don't know how to translate that into international terms, but you know, probably hundreds, thousands and thousands of dollars for international listeners. And 300 tickets for the game on Saturday that they were presumably going to be sell on, uh, selling on. They weren't fake either. The original rumor that was, was that they were going to be fake tickets. They were actually real tickets that they were going to be selling on. So this guy was arrested. And there's speculation that that, that sting operation and, and that this arrest could have provoked the backlash, which is what you saw on Saturday afternoon um, as a way of, of sort of hitting back at the club and hitting back at the police. You know, they came out with just as much violence as they could show on Saturday. That That's one theory that the... 
it's still being worked on in, in Buenos Aires, but that's what the mayor of the city said today live on TV. I think I think it was around 169,000 euros or something, the, the amount... <clears throat> Um, okay. Reportedly, uh, he was found with. Yeah, I was. Um, I was going to discuss this later in the pod, sort of what what could be done about about this kind of thing. But as kind of Simon's brought it into the discussion quite early, I just want to go over kind of how Chile have managed to reduce sort of hooliganism and uh, crowd violence here over over the past years and it started with a project um, which isn't universally popular by by no means um, and and it certainly has its uh, downsides and the project's called Estadio Seguro uh, which would basically translate as kind of safe stadium and it's it's taking all these measures to basically only permit people with no kind of record of football violence into the stadium now that means that everybody has everybody in Chile has an ID card anyway, um, but you need that. To, that is the most important thing when you go into a stadium. I went to it. I, I've noticed in recent weeks when I go to the stadium, they don't even bother checking my ticket anymore because when you buy your ticket, your ticket is linked to your national ID number. So as long as the green light shows up on the machine, that means you're permitted into the stadium. So it's kind of almost pointless printing your ticket off because, yeah, everything's done by e-ticket here now as well. So, yeah, the, the ID number is very important, but they've also banned lots of instruments from the stadium. So there's a lot, lot. So this is one of the negatives for a lot of people. There's a lot of, there's a lot less music in the stadium compared to how it used to be and therefore some say you know it's it's a, it's a lot less noisy you know it's kind of a sanit sanitation of um of, of chilean football something you know we hear spoken about all the time in english football as well and then there's obvious things which also got banned and um like uh, flares for example fireworks that kind of thing Although, interestingly, at the game I was at yesterday, the Lubara, Los del Baco, the ones from down below, that would translate as, I guess, they managed to sneak in to the stadium. Well, it must have cost them a fair bit because they had pretty much a, a whole fireworks show going on during the second half of the game. So, they obviously, the bar is here. When they really want to, they can steal, and I've seen it at Colo Colo games as well in the Libertadores, um, yeah, if they really want to, they do still manage to get in some of these banned items. Um, for a while, even banners were banned. There was like a good couple of year period here where you couldn't even display a banner in the stadium, which I thought was just ridiculous, really. And, and the, but I think they cut back on that one because they noticed that the, it, you know, it wasn't a great look on the telly, especially when here in Chile you struggle to fill stadiums anyway. But, yeah, basically, I think what's happened here in Chile is kind of too extreme, too sanitised. Yeah, it does feel very safe to go to the stadium now, but certainly compared to when I first got here, it isn't the same kind of level of kind of excitement and passion 
from what I saw a few years ago. And that's the difficult thing, isn't it? Is that part of what has drawn me in particular to South American football, and I think part of what draws just about anybody to South American football is this passion and, and this color, and, and it's, you know... It's like watching something that's completely different than anything you see anywhere else in the world. And so because of that, any type of solution that comes forward has to somehow try to protect all of the good of that, all of the good of the, the passion and the color and the, you know, everything that is related to creating this atmosphere in this scene while also somehow ridding itself of all of the ugly underside of that. Because I think it is fair to say that sometimes that passion goes too far and so any solution has to somehow try to walk this fine line between not cleaning up South American football so much that it's not South American football, but also while making sure that South American football is safe, which should be the primary desire in any sort of solution. And that's where the difficulty is going to lie, is in trying to figure out a way to make it so that South American football still looks like it does and still provides that spectacle that you can't see anywhere else but also is fundamentally safe. And it has to be fundamentally safe because people should be able to go to a match and not worry about their safety. And that should never be a question that comes into it. And I think that's going to be the difficulty going forward. And that is where you see all of these different solutions are going to have to try to come together to, to find a way. In Brazil, one of the big things that has come recently, just over the past few weeks, is a campaign by the broadcasters and by fans themselves just asking for peace in the stadiums, using the real voices of real people, you know, putting uh, a famous commercial in Brazil has people with all their different shirts in a room and kind of highlighting that they're all really similar. They all really like football. They just like different teams. And it's called Pasno Estadios, Peace in the Stadiums is the translation. And I think that can be a really effective way but that won't go far enough because it's not going to root out the the you know the deep lying issues that we have. And I think that's where the questions come is what do you actually do to to fix issues like these in the future? and And that's the difficulty of it all. I think it's it's very interesting for me to hear the Chilean <clears throat> approach. And I do think these approaches, and I think in Medellin, it's been particularly effective with the derby. Obviously, when Medellin play Cali, there's still big, big issues and, and it's still an issue because there's not that understanding and that agreement in place in the same way. Um, it has to be mutual. It has to be closely, closely drawn. But I think it's very interesting as well. I think these reflect these solutions come as a reflection of the society. I, I Adam can correct me, but I see Chile as a much more organized society with you know more bureaucracy, more kind of top down government solutions. Whereas I see Colombia I mean, in, I'm in Medellin and Medellin is beautiful and it's generally very safe and you know, it's a great place to be. But most people in Medellin have to pay, pay for uh, protection for their businesses. There's many neighborhoods where it's 80, 100 percent of the businesses have to pay gangs for protection. The buses have their accounts include a percentage to go to for check protection money. So people in Colombia are very used to the authorities making a compromise to ensure safety. The police don't just go and arrest all the, the, the drug traffickers. They know where they are, but they don't arrest them because that can create more problems and solutions. And I think the same approach has been applied in the stadiums because, you know, the, the authorities know that if they just filled it with police, it would create many, many more problems. So what they do is they have an agreement with the with these groups. They know are very influential and they'll let them police themselves. 
And again, that's great, but it's also a fine line. There's also things like they'll organise football matches up in the hills, in the in the neighbourhood pitches, between Nacional against Medellin, and the mayor will be on one of the teams, and they'll have fans from both sides. Because I, and again, I, it'll be interesting to see if this applies elsewhere. But it's such a hierarchical organisation, and there's very much a leader, people who know who the leader is, and they know who the leader of each group is, and, and it's very much top down. And again, this can be a great thing, but it can also be hugely problematic because if the boss decides he wants the, the president out, he can create massive problems. Or if he doesn't like a player, the player gets death threats and it can be hugely problematic. As with any situation where you come to a pact with a with an armed, organized group and they can be good for the community. And this is the same with organized crime. You know, there are mafia bosses who are the heroes and who can create great security and provide things for the neighborhood. But I think Colombian situation, especially in Medellin, reflects that. The police are part of this situation, but they work with these groups who can be the problem, but also provide a, a kind of balance and a solution, albeit quite precarious and potential for huge problems. But I, from what I've heard in Argentina, it's it's that times maybe 10. Um, I know there was a Colombian player, Giovanni Moreno, who was walking out along the street and someone pulled a gun out and put it to his leg and said, look, if you don't play better, I'm going to shoot you in your knee. And, you know, he didn't play better. He moved to China. Um, but obviously these groups can be hugely influential and hugely problematic. But I also think that you can't ignore them, at least from the Colombian experience, you can't ignore them. You have to get them on board and working with you. And then in that way, you can get results. And also, you know, the, the mayor gets all the credit because he takes the pictures with the borrowers and goes, I've got them under control. But it was a comp- it was a negotiated agreement, really, more than anything. Just on your point of you made about Chile, I think the key thing here is um, the police compared, to, and there's many studies on this, and, uh, and, and you can check this out online, it's quite easy to find. The police here in Chile are the least corruptible in, in, in all of Latin America. So, yeah, one of the first things a friend of mine told me here and uh, was, you know, never bribe a policeman. And I believe that is kind of different if you live in any of the other countries in South America. Yeah, Col- Colombia, every, everyone takes a bribe. Yeah. Every, and everything requires a bribe as well. It's, right. it's a part of everything. So projects, a, national projects, everything. So, so that's, yeah. a, that's a huge difference right away. You know, you just never do that in Chile. You, you know, that is just an, a sure way of getting arrested straight away. Yeah, but, so there's that. You know, I think the Chilean police are quite... Um, they can be quite heavy-handed as well. Now, I wanted to bring this up with with Tom because I think maybe a lot of our listeners may not have seen this, although it did go viral in the middle of last week. But there was a match in the second tier in Argentina featuring one of the biggest clubs in, in the second tier in Argentina, and that's um, All Boys. Um, they lost at home, and after the game, they decided to go on the rampage in, in kind of a neighbourhood near the stadium, I believe. And from the footage I saw, you know, they basically got the better of the police. Now, that the kind of footage I was seeing there, I was thinking, well, I can't imagine that happening really in Chile, where they were able to sort of just basically force the police back and, and make them run away. Um, so, yeah, is there just huge underfunding in the in the in the police there in in argentina is it is that playing a part a lack of training 
in dealing with with this kind of crowds and violence? Uh, there seems to be a lack of, from an organisational point of view, more than anything else, um, the organisation, that game you refer to, I, I think they were simply outnumbered. Um, I don't think it was a case of the them being poorly trained or anything like that. I mean, that they, they went to a second division game between All Boys and Atalanta, I think it was. And like you say, they were just completely overwhelmed. There were probably two or three police cars of, of officers. So maybe, I don't know, maybe eight, 10, 12 officers and just dozens and dozens of, of hooligans from the Barra Brava. And like you say, they were able to drive them away from the stadium that the hooligans were able to drive the police back from the stadium. So they clearly came up against numbers and a level of force. Uh, and they were obviously unprepared for such levels of violence. Um, that, yeah, it really created an image of um, the, the Barras being in control of the streets and not the police, really. That that was the we were watching those images. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of organisation, really, they just need to get their numbers right and probably assess the level of threat much better than they're doing now before each game. But, Tom, I mean... This was River Boca. Obviously, that type of issue wasn't at stake here. You can't possibly underestimate what River Boca can bring. So what are kind of the issues from your perspective that played the biggest role in this happening? Uh, you know, where uh, it's hard to ask where the blame should go because it kind of seems like it should go a lot of places. But how do you see it? Well, uh, actually, just before we recorded this podcast on Monday afternoon, Argentina time, um, the head of security from the city government in, in Buenos Aires actually resigned because of how poor the operation was on Saturday. And I think that's something we were we were all expecting resignations, quite significant resignations, because the operation was just poor. The the thing we all agree on is that the operation was terrible. So the Boca bus came in down uh, Libertador Avenue, which is one of the main... Uh, one of the main streets, one of the main avenues that heads towards the Monumental Stadium. And it then heads right down a road called Quinteros, which at that junction, the flashpoint is where you will have seen these videos of everything being thrown at, at the bus by these hundreds of River Plate supporters. So that was on that corner. Now, the main question most of us have just watching that footage is, why are there fans, why are there dozens, hundreds of River fans getting within 10 metres of the bus? They they should clearly have been moved back but probably it seemed, half a block or, to or me, an entire block. To me, it seemed like they were waiting for them. So they must have got some kind of information that the River bus was going to come that way, even though it usually doesn't. Oh, the Boca bus, sorry, was going to come that way, even though it usually doesn't. I'm not sure because there are two different routes you can get to the stadium um, from where Boca have their, their team hotel. So there were, there were two potential routes, and I think sometimes an away team can use either one of them. But there's also another unhealthy habit in Argentina where this is probably to do with the intensity, again, of the media coverage, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, they follow the bus from one stadium to the other live. You, you know, you can turn on one of the average news channels in the country, and they are live on the avenues following this bus traveling from one stadium to the other. So anyone, 
anyone in the country knows exactly where they are. One of my pet hates in South American football TV coverage, that is, the amount of World Cup qualifiers over the years that have been cut off here in Chile just so they can follow the Chile national team bus travelling from the hotel to the stadium. Uh, that's driven me mad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's exactly the same in Argentina. The sports channels and the news channels all cover this bus moving from one stadium to the other, and it's live. And, yeah, again, I think that's part of the problem because you only have to turn your TV on and see, okay, yeah, I recognise that street. I know where they are. I know exactly when they're going to be here. I know exactly what the bus looks like. It it just makes the job easier for these vandals, these, these criminals who are so intent on causing so much mayhem. And I think one point that I want to make here at this point is, Tom, you rightfully described them as as vandals and criminals, and and that's what they are in this case. And that's how they are described in the international media. And again, that's not an inaccurate representation. But I think the big prevailing feeling for me is one of sadness because the international media sees this happen and it confirms their their beliefs, their previously held beliefs on, on what South American football is and the type of people who support it. You know, the vast majority of people who go to a match in South America don't go to the match to throw things at a bus. They go to the match to watch the football and they go to the match to support their teams. And so what's happened is these these groups of, of people have have taken over the narrative and have you know, kind of shifted the conversation so that everybody believes that every South American football fan is violent and, and has these sort of desires when that's not the case, you know, and, and it's it's disheartening because it gets characterized as, as something that certainly happens and, and it shouldn't be downplayed. But again, the vast majority of people who cheer for Boca and who cheer for River don't want any of this to happen. They just want to watch their match and, and they don't like the other team, but they don't want to throw rocks at the team bus. You know, they, they want to sing songs about how good their team is and, and about how the other team got relegated one time, but they're not looking to, to instigate violence. And I think that's the thing that is most disheartening is the conversation is allowed to be dominated by these small groups of people who hold all of the power and all of the control. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with you, Austin. Uh, I sent a tweet out as well on Saturday evening, just re- trying to emphasize this point because whilst all this mayhem was happening outside the stadium, uh, the the actual stadium was almost full. And the fans were already in there two hours before the game and there were were already 50, if not 60,000 fans singing, creating a great atmosphere. Um, It's a link I'll send out again because it's it's an atmosphere that you just never see two hours before a kickoff. So, it's yeah, it's very much a case of a small minority dominating the, the narrative when... There's a huge majority who who want something else and who act completely differently. Um, you're definitely right when you refer to sadness as well, because my experience today. I mean, I work in an office with with 50 other 50 Argentines, and you know, I arrived this morning and I was speaking to my Boca friends, and we all just felt the same. We all just felt sadness, and you know, one of my closest friends is a Boca fan. He just looked at me and says, "Just it, this isn't the same now. It, it doesn't it doesn't feel the same if." It's tainted. If if Boca win, it's a bit tainted, and if River win, it's especially tainted. It just doesn't quite feel the same. It's it's removed some of the passion and and left everyone with this sense of just disappointment and sadness. Yeah. Really, yeah, that was actually going to be you know one of my next questions, um, and and you've already answered it there on on what the general feeling is about this final now, 
um, and, and whether it has tainted it and, and if the winning team will feel the same sense of glory um, when, when this does eventually happen, if it does happen, you know, we still don't know that. There's a decision. We're, like you say, we're recording this Monday afternoon. There's a decision on Tuesday. I might, depending what happens in that, we might have to add something to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of madness. And I tweeted out, you know, something similar to what Austin just said there on, on Saturday night. You know, my overwhelming emotion was also one of, of sadness mainly that it reinforces neg- negative stereotypes um, and not necessarily exclusive to South American football either. But And, and it's something we saw in the World Cup as well. Um, and, yeah, I think it's also a little bit unfair because there, there's this element, yeah, what happened to the Boca bus was terrible, the fact that the River fans broke the window and the Boca captain got glass in his eye. We should mention that, you know, that in case anybody listening doesn't know that that is basically the main reason this game got got called off, really. It was the Boca captain who was affected the most by it. You know, these are scenes that you can see across the world. You know, people throwing stuff at a bus... You know, fans throwing objects at a bus and, and breaking windows isn't exclusive to South American football. And the crime really is, you know, the fact that the windows broke and, uh, and ended up injuring players. Obviously, it's indefensible, in, indefensible. But ultimately, you know, this isn't something which is completely exclusive to South American football culture. Um, and I, I really do want to make that point as well because it did start to bug me a little bit that ultimately Europe still isn't free of football violence and nor are many other parts of the world. Yeah, I'd agree with what you're saying, Adam. And, um, uh, you know, obviously this isn't the only content that suffers from football violence. Um, we just hope that, I think one of the main feelings in Buenos Aires today is that um, the hope is that if the final is to be played in two weeks, at the moment it looks like it could be played on December the 8th. That would be the next free weekend day where it could be played. The authorities want it played in daylight, which means it has to be at the weekend. Now, the G20 Summit is in Buenos Aires this coming weekend, so we'd be looking at the weekend after. So at the moment, if it does get played, it looks like December the 8th will be the the date for this rescheduled final. The only hope is that during that time, uh, this bitter taste that everyone has really in, in Argentina after seeing so much violence, that maybe that can ease a little bit and we can all get our minds back towards the ball and really get in the mood to support our teams again. Because, you know, talking now on the Monday, just 48 hours after the violence, nobody's really in the mood to, to even win or lose this trophy. So, we just hope that during those two weeks it could change. And, and it's interesting that you said that because, you know, I've been quite consistent with my view now since about Saturday night where I feel that, I personally feel that the best thing here might be just to call the whole thing off. 
Um, it is quite extreme. I realise that, and um, and it does deny millions of people of uh, you know of a spectacle, and also you know common ball of uh, of of their big day, I guess, um, and Boca and River too, of course. But you know, we all know that Boca fans are no angels either. So you can't just say you know, oh, this is you know this one incident. Yes. Is 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 a uh, is the fault of River, but ultimately, yeah, it's it's the problem is a lot bigger than than just River, you know, throwing objects at a bus. The whole thing has been kind of chaos, really, so badly organised from Commonwealth, um, and I just feel that you know, basically, if you do cancel the whole thing now. It just sets an example of not tolerating this kind of behaviour um, again. Um, but I don't know if I'm being too extreme with 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 that viewpoint, and, uh, and whether you guys agree with me or if that's just my kind of feeling that I'm actually kind of a little bored of. Um, of, of, of this now <laughs> um, as well you know I just kind of want to get back to the qualifying stage of watching Jorge Wilsterman take on um, Bolivar or something Delphine, um, no. or Delphine yeah it would be a team from another country of course the Jorge Wilsterman give me that yeah I think I think the exasperation um, is kind of shared I think all around um, so much excitement and then Obviously, the first leg was delayed by rain. We eventually got a decent game. That was great. Um, <clears throat> and all of the build-up. And again, I think also within the context of this year's Libertadores, we, we love the drama and it gives us plenty to talk about. But the the sense of, you know, this kind of working and it being fair and it being played out on the pitch, you know, I think administrators have been the figuras of this tournament. Um, if you've got a guy, with, a meticulous guy with a with a good rule book and uh, you know the careful access to the records, and you can probably get through a few ties despite right. losing if you find that 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 guy who's been suspended. And I think all of this combines to just make us go, oh, let's just start again. <laughs> so yeah, would, I, I do I do think there should be a final game and we should get yeah. it done. But I but would, understand the expert. But would yeah. say. With that in mind, would Boca, you know, getting a 3-0 walkover be kind of the perfect end to this Liber, to this Libertadores, you know? <laughs> Given it, it would be fitting. I don't know if it would be perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's honestly where we are. Um, and, you know, everyone can have a look at this. You know, the organisation, Commonable, can do things much, much better. Clarify things, set the rules out very clearly, make the punishments completely obvious up front. There's still no decision. I mean, we look at 2015, it should be ruled out, but should it not? There just needs to be some clarity in all of this. Every, we, we know that there's going to be madness along the way. But what we need is someone to say, if this happens, this is the this is the rule. We've started to see a little bit of that, even though, again, the issue is we don't know what the, <laughs> the computer system's not up to date or whatever. This all comes into it. But Commonable needs to get themselves in order. Then we need to look at policing. Then we need to confront some of the social is issues that 
that make people think lobbing stuff at a bus is going to be in any way good or beneficial like it doesn't help like what does it mean so there's so many issues here but i definitely think common ball can definitely set the tone by being clear having clear rules having clear rulings which would at least take some of that question out of things because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where we are. We don't know what the rule says. We don't know how they'll be applied. There needs to be some clarity in all of these issues to help not just these issues of stadium violence or issues around the stadium, or, but also to just everything, to make this tournament work. Just make it work, please. Austin, what do you think should happen? I think Nene just missed a big penalty for Sao Paulo, and that's a good little save from the sport goalkeeper. And now if they can go on and win this in the final 15 minutes, we might have a relegation fight on our hands. Sorry. Stop, stop getting distracted by football. Concentrate <laughs> on the important... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, concentrate on the off-the-field drama. Stop, talk, stop watching games. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think for me, I, I think you are being a bit too extreme, Adam. Um, and also... As somebody who has also had pipe dreams that they think what Connable should do in a certain situation and watch those come very much not to pass when we were considering the uh, Gallardo case, I-, I think it's important to note that that's probably not what's going to happen here. Um, I don't think Connable can get away with just saying, nope, nobody wins this year. Um, uh, yeah, I think that is crossing a bridge too much for them. And I hope we're given a good spectacle for all of the right reasons. Um, I think the issues here are much more deep-seated than just one match. And I don't think blacking out the 2018 Copa Libertadores would have enough of an effect to, to make it warranted. And I don't know if there's enough culpability on both sides for, for that to be the case. It's important to note here that this incident happened outside the stadium. And I think, look, there is a lot of fault to be had. But as far as River Plate and Boca Juniors as clubs themselves having fault in this particular incident... I don't know that you can make that judgment. And so blacking this thing out, I don't know if that's the proper punishment for the parties involved here. Um, and, and that's why I think they'll choose not to do that. And that's why uh, that's I don't probably, think they should. Do that. that's, probably, that's probably fair enough. Um, Tom? I think the closest thing you could see to, to your suggestion is that Boca get awarded the game on a walkover. Uh, that's what their president He's aiming for in the Tuesday meeting at Conmebol in Paraguay. He's aiming for Boca to be awarded the game as a result of the violence that they, they suffered outside the stadium. So there is a chance that, um, that there might not be a final based on that and Boca could be awarded the trophy. Um, and like you say, th- there is a part of me that thinks if it gets cancelled and one team gets awarded the trophy... There is something quite fitting in that. There is something quite fitting in that, you know, this this final came and Argentina couldn't handle it. It really couldn't handle it. The the clubs couldn't handle it. The security forces couldn't handle it. Fans, uh, even though the vast majority were well-behaved, there's a minority of fans who were were intent on violence and they couldn't handle it. Um, It would be a sad but appropriate reflection of of where Argentina is at in terms of football and, and its violence at the moment, unfortunately. That's, that's my opinion. To be quite honest, uh, I think the proper solution, you know, South America still has to send somebody to the Club World Cup in two weeks. Um, Boca River have, have certainly shown themselves unqualified. So what if we just sent the best team from the group stage? That seems like a, a fair 
judge who Boston. is best I'll in give this you competition, a chance right? to go on about Palmeiras in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> anybody Wait anybody know who that was? Well, maybe, <laughs> well, maybe let's find a good representative who can send a positive image, a team that did show great sportsmanship. So, for example, I don't know, what about Atletico Nacional? 2016, they handed over the, the Sudamericana trophy to Chapacuense following the disaster. A great image. Let's send them. Everyone will love them. Continent's favourite team. Off to, off to the World Cup. How about that? That sounds like a fair solution. What about a team who's just been relegated to the third tier in Chile? You know, we need the money. We need some of the... Those uh, United Arab Emirates dollars. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> give them over. What about Palestino? Palestino could maybe go, Adam, after their Chilean Cup victory. Palestino deserves yeah, to go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait. Sounds, oh. like, sounds like we're going to need yeah. a tournament to decide the representative to go to the Club World Cup. Anybody know how we could organize one of those? The Conmebol certainly don't know how to organize it now. Let World Football Index take over Conmebol. That's, uh, that's my solution. And this is that insert um, I was talking about on the pod. Um, as on Tuesday afternoon, uh, we got some news from Commerball, didn't we, Austin? The one thing we know about this game is that it will definitely be played outside of Argentina if it goes ahead. Now, I think it's quite a big if, but we were just talking now, and um, you're not you're not quite so sure. No, and I, there's a lot to sort through here, and there's a lot that's going to have to take place before we actually get these two teams on the pitch. Boca are adamant that they're going to appeal this as far as they have to to try to get their desired result, which is a 3-0 walkover handed to them due to Rivers' inability to control their crowds. I think the question at stake is should River be held accountable for actions that happen outside of their kind of security perimeter that they're designated by Conmebol? We discussed this a bit on the podcast, so we don't necessarily need to go into that. But I think that's the question that Conmebol and eventually probably Cass will have to answer. And that will determine whether they get a walkover or whether we'll have to actually play this match somewhere. And Adam, if it is played, it looks as though Cutter could be where it's played, a preview of the 2022 World Cup, I guess. Yeah, and it looks like, now, I haven't got confirmed reports of this, but I have seen some uh, journalists here in South America talking about one of the reasons Doha is particularly an attractive venue, um, is that they're prepared to basically offer a lot more prize money. And... Uh, and there's now talk that Doha is very much the favourite. That's, that's in Qatar, of course. Um, because the amount of money they're offering, the prize money they're offering, could tempt Boca out of their current um, very stubborn position, uh, where it, at the moment, Boca's president keeps repeating the fact that under no circumstances will they play this final. And that even go to the... They even go to Cass... Uh, the court of arbitration of sport to to um, to try and win this match with, with a walkover rather than take to the field. And I think that prize money is big because also the reports that I've seen coming out of Brazil, particularly, say that Qatar and, and Doha are prepared to offer enough to cover transportation costs for the both teams. So essentially, neither team would be um, inconvenienced by attaching this. Obviously, the big inconvenience is that the Copa Libertadores final would be decided in Qatar, 
But I guess that's another discussion for another time. So that's where we're at right now with this potential, but potentially not Copa Libertadores second leg. And also my doubt, you know, would they be able to, is there enough interest there to fill a stadium or would it be just sort of played in front of a handful of, of people? I'd be very interested to see what kind of crowd they could get in there. It'd be kind of a test ahead of the World Cup, like you say, really. Everything we wanted from this Copa Libertadores is somehow going to end with the trophy being lifted in front of like 3,000 people on a small pitch in Doha, Qatar. Because, sure, it's the Libertadores. <laughs> Comable very much chasing the money. Um, <laughs> right to the end. Yeah, so it's a very delicate situation still. Uh, you know, we, we were discussing this before I pressed record. You know, I think that this final will never be played. But you think it will be, so it's uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see. Um, what I will say is that I do think that maybe this money being offered might be enough to to um, tempt Boca out of their of their current status. But even if Boca lost, I would still expect them to go to the court of arbitration. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel too, Adam, is I think Boca will play and play under protest. They'll put an asterisk by it, you know, pending our appeal. And then if they lose, then we'll be subject to, you know, 18 months of appeals before this is finally decided. Whereas if they win, then it doesn't really matter and they pocket a lot more cash for winning. So it's kind of a, a no-lose situation from Boca's perspective if they believe that strongly in their case to go to Cass. Indeed, indeed. I think that's uh, I think I think that's the end of this uh, insert. So back to the pod we recorded on Monday afternoon. Um, shall we move on to something else? Um, maybe let's discuss some on the pitch action. Austin, I'll come back to you so you can talk about your team winning the Brazilian title. Yes, the Brazilian League, one match day to go coming on next Sunday. Uh, there'll be a lot at stake uh, determining who gets the final spot in the Libertadores group stage for next year, who gets the final spot in the pre-Libertadores for next year, uh, and also determining who will go down. We've already had two teams relegated, but two more will go down. But we will not be deciding the title because that was finished off this past Sunday. Palmeiras 1-0 winners away to Vasco da Gama, a goal in about the 75th minute from everybody's favorite striker, Daverson. A really nice play from Dudu, who has been the player of the competition. Um, he's not long for Brazil, unfortunately, now. I think the big payday is well-earned in China, and I think it's one he should rightfully take. Uh, but he was brilliant all competition, particularly down the stretch for Palmeiras. Lifted a ball in for Willian, uh, another good player who's been good this year for Verdown, who lobbed it across for Daverson and, and a easy volley finish into an empty net, gave Palmeiras the win and gave them the title over a hard-charging Flamengo side who have been quite good, it must be said, under Dordival Jr. since he took over. But they do fall short in the end. A couple of missed chances and a couple of matches for them is, gonna, what, is going to be what is ending up the difference for Flamengo down the stretch. Uh, but looking at, at kind of the bigger picture in Brazil, Palmeiras, Flamengo, Internacional, and Cruzeiro are four teams that are assured of a spot in the Copa Libertadores group stage next year. São Paulo and Grêmio will fight it out for the other. Whoever doesn't qualify for the group stage will go to the Libertadores opening rounds where they will be joined by either Atlético Mineiro or Atlético Paranaense. They'll fight it out on the last day in their matches to try to determine that. But 
both Atletico Paranaense and Fluminense, who might yet be relegated, are in position to fight for the Copa Sulamericana, which comes with the Libertadores berth as well. So by the end, Brazil could have as many as eight teams in the Libertadores next year. At the other half of the table, in the bottom end, Vitoria were knocked off and sent down this weekend. Uh, they only got a draw against Gremio, and then coupled with a draw by Chapecoense, they have officially been relegated where they joined Paraná, who were relegated pretty much the second they came up, but officially relegated a couple weeks back. And there's a bunch of teams fighting it out for that final relegation spot. Chapecoense in among them, as well as Serra, Vasco da Gama. Fluminense have not scored in six matches and are sputtering towards the finish. And America Minato as well. And very quickly, looking down at the second division, the four teams coming up were also decided this weekend. Fortaleza under Rogerio Seni had already booked their spot, as had Goyas, uh, a club that has not been in the first division since 2014. They are coming back up as well. And they will be joined by CSAA, CSA, uh, a club in Alagoas in the northeast of Brazil, who have not been in the first division in over 30 years and have also been promoted every single year for the last four. So they were promoted from their state league to the fourth tier of the Brazilian league system, which is as low as it goes. And then from there, have won promotion every single year. They will be back in the first division, and that's exciting to see. And they'll be joined by Avaí, a yo-yo club in Brazil who have gone up and down, but are well-deserved in, in going back up. Thanks for that roundup. Tom, I understand that River Plate don't have to wait until, what, the 8th of December is the possible date we've got for, the, for that rescheduled Libertadores. stories. You don't have to wait that long to see your team back in action because I believe they play this Wednesday, right, in the Copa Argentina. Yeah, dramatically and unbelievably, there are going to be football players kicking a ball around a pitch on, on Wednesday night. It, it feels like it's been forever as a River Plate fan to say that. Um, so, yeah, we have on Wednesday night, it's going to be River against uh, Gimnasia Escrima La Plata uh, in the Copa Argentina semi-final. The winner will take on Rosario Central, who won their semi-final against Temperley on penalties. So, yes, that final, again, there's, there's a big fixture congestion coming up for River. So, that final should be around mid-December, um, but again, we don't know when the final of the Libertadores is going to be played or if River will win it and then have to go off to Abu Dhabi to play the Club World Cup. So River have, uh, yeah, a huge fixture congestion ahead. But yeah, like you say, the next fixture is Wednesday night in the Copa Argentina semi-final. And Tom, quickly, that's a big big thing for River because if they don't end up winning whatever is the Libertadores final they need to win the Argentine Cup to qualify for the, the Libertadores correct exactly correct yeah they need to win either the Libertadores itself or the Copa Argentina in order to play in the Libertadores next year I was about to say that too Austin the other storyline from that Copa Argentina final is is about Rosario Central because this is what their third fight is it their third final in a row or certainly in it, quick succession, something like that. It's, yeah, it's not in a row. It's in, in, in quick succession. They lost the 2015 final to Boca, the 2016 final to River. Uh, and unless there's an upset on, on Wednesday night, it's looking like they'll be in the 2018 final uh, against River as well. So they, they'll be desperate to win a, a final, having been runners-up so many times now. Indeed, indeed. And Simon, what's going on there in Colombia at the moment? 
Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> in terms of promoted teams, we'll start at the bottom. Those are done and dusted. Union Magdalena, uh, a team with a lot of history, uh, was actually set up a long time ago in the, the 50s um, by some Hungarian and Austrian legends, some Czech players uh, who were fleeing Europe after the Second World War, came over, set up a team, and uh, they went on to become the first team of Alderama. They just got promoted, top to the top division, um, invested a bit. They've got a nice stadium. A one club city, so really good to have them back. And they'll be joined by Kukuta, which is again another uh, a club based um, kind of far away from other clubs, so up up near the Venezuelan border. Uh, kind of a big traditional club. Again, they've invested some money in, in getting back in the top division. So good to have two teams which will have a few fans uh, next year. Um, it's a couple of good stadiums. Magdalena's Union Magdalena have a perfect stadium for them. Not too big, but they can fill it and it's nice and modern. Kukuta, it's a bit bigger, but they can still get a good crowd if they, they start doing well. So welcome additions. Bojaka Chico going down, which you know, they have a nice kit, checkered uh, design, like the the Croatia kit, but kind of a blue, dark blue and white. Uh, so they're going down with Leone's uh, animal name team. No time for them. But fair play to them. They got promoted and they were tiny and terrible and never had a chance and went down, but had a few interesting results along the way. So that's the relegation promotion situation. In terms of the championship, we're through to the final now. Uh, it will be contested between Deportivo Independiente Medellin or, or DIM or Medellin against Junior. Uh, Junior are going to have a bit of a fixture congestion as well because they're in the Sudamericana semi-final, currently 2-0 up against Santa Fe. Um, they're going to play the second leg in Barranquilla, obviously strong favourites, but they've got to get that job done. And then there'll be a two-legged uh, league final and then potentially a two-legged Sudamericana final. Uh, a strong team, obviously uh, lots of good players. Uh, international Luis Diaz, a, a key man. Yalom Barrera really playing some good stuff now. The mercurial number 10. Teofilo Gutierrez back to his best and Victor Candijo at the base of midfield is a real, really good player. So very talented junior side but always the potential to let in a few. At the back, they got through to the final with a 4-3 aggregate win over Rio Negro Aguilas. Uh, made thing hard work yesterday, but they got the job done in the end. Uh, and they'll be in the final big, big team in Colombia. Uh, they're already re- uh, qualified for the Copa Libertadores for next year as well. The two other teams in the semi-final were Tolima and Medellin. Again, both these teams also in the Libertadores next year. Uh, Tolima won the first league championship. But they have a really interesting team, Tolima. Lots and lots of pace. They attack really, really quickly. A couple of Venezuelan internationals who are very interesting. Albornos is a, a very, very quick winger. So they lost a couple of good players, but they've definitely kept a good team together. Perez, the striker, has been one of the top goal scorers, has been very good as well. Catania is the number 10. But they were beaten on the night by Medellin. Uh, Medellin played kind of a 4-4-2 diamond. Uh, Ricoate is the main man, is the playmaker, very good player. Then up top, they've got Herman Cano who is an Argentine striker. He's never really done it outside of Colombia, but a very, very good striker, very good finisher. And he's up front with a big target man in Caicedo. So they're kind of a bit more limited in a way, uh, but they're very clinical in attack and uh, fairly solid in defence. So those are the Colombian qualifiers for Libertadores and Junior and Medellin will face off in the final to decide the the champion this year as well. So the, the qualifiers in the end for Colombia, Nacional, Medellin, Tolima and Junior for next year's Libertadores and potentially one more if Junior win then I believe it's Once Caldas 
And if Santa Fe win the Sudamericana, then they'll obviously be the other qualifier as well. So we'll have to see. But that's how we are in Colombia. And in Chile, yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, I was at Universidad de Chile against Iquique. Uh, Lu had to win that game to stay in the title race. Um, and they blew that, really, because they, they only drew nil-nil in a very dull and... Uh, and a performance which really lacked ideas from them. I was, I was very disappointed. And especially as Akiki had nothing to play for either. The team in third place, Universidad de Concepcion, they won. They beat San Luis and relegated them. And so now Universidad de Concepcion is the only other team who can win the title. Apart from Universidad Católica, who are the big favourites heading into the final weekend. Católica just need a point. But the twist is, their game is against Tomuko. Now, Tomuko need have to win to, to, to have a chance of staying up. If Tomuko win and Palestino don't win, then Tomuko stay up. So, And what would be interesting there is for the second year running, Chile would have a Primera B side in the Copa Libertadores. Because last weekend, Palestino won the Copa Chile. Um, beating Audax Italiano fairly comfortably in the final. There was big scenes there, but Palestino, a bit like Santiago Wanderers last year, got a little bit too high, went back to the league fixtures and got thrashed. So now they've been dragged back into the relegation scrap and they and they have to, well, they need to win to guarantee their survival. And like I said earlier, anything less than that, then they, they, could, uh, they could be... They could well be relegated if Tomoko beat Catholica. So, yeah, it's uh, there's some interesting storylines ahead in in the last weekend of the, of the Chilean league. Um, the only other note there to make is Universidad de Concepcion. Um, yeah, they have to beat Colo Colo away. Um, now, Colo Colo have no motivation, really, to, to win their game. Um, they're already secured their place in the Sudamericana. Um, and if Colo Colo win, they're basically probably gifting the title to one of their main rivals, Godolica. And they're also gifting Universidad de Chile a uh, place automatically in the group stages of the Libertadores. So, I'm... <laughs> um, I'm going to that one um, at the weekend, and I'm very interested to see um, what kind of performance Colo Colo put in, because, uh, yeah, like I say, I can't see much motivation for them to win, really. Um, Esteban Paredes in goal, maybe, for Colo Colo yeah, in that one? maybe, Give, give maybe. him a chance, on try it out. Farewell, on his farewell appearance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he'll, be, he'll be hungry for a goal. It might not be his farewell appearance, actually. I'm not sure if he's... Uh, if he's signed on for another year, uh, I'll need to check that afterwards. Um, but yeah, I think uh, if if I had to put money on it, then I can actually see Catolica bottling it and uh, and Concepcion stealing in. If if the two teams uh, finish level on points, then then they have a playoff at the end of this whole campaign. The goal difference is very close anyway. Um, but yeah, that doesn't really come into play if the top two are level on points. Um, Instead, they have a playoff, uh, probably a one-game playoff it would be, 
and uh, to to decide the title. So I'm kind of hoping for that, really, as I'd quite like another week of action. <laughs> right, okay. Um, let's go round the virtual table and find out if anybody's got anything to plug. Tom? Yes, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at carp, C-A-R-P, underscore English, and I'll have all the updates about this ongoing saga and for the Copa Libertadores final. So yeah, you'll be able to find all sorts of articles and podcasts and whatnot over the coming days on that account. Austin? I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906, live tweeting such events as the exciting Sao Paulo sport match that just finished at the Modem B, a nil-nil draw that keeps sport alive in the relegation fight. Uh, plenty more for me coming that way. Uh, transfer silly season is about to start in Brazil and also obviously in Europe. So there should be hopefully some good spotlight podcasts coming out. We just had one released on Everton. There'll be another one coming out on Pedrinho, a Corinthians player who's been linked to Real Madrid. And then we should have some on some Colombian players over the next couple of weeks once we work out a time to record those with Simon. So be sure to be on the lookout for all of those as well. And Simon. Yeah, Twitter at Simon Edwards, S-A-F. Yeah, Colombian stuff, end of the league season. Going to try and get down to that Medellin game, so I'll try and get some some footage and some photos from there, which is always fun. And yeah, just follow me there. And we're, we're doing a lot of radio stuff between us now as well, so you can check all our Twitters for for times of when we're appearing, a lot of stuff in the UK as well. So trying to explain what the hell's been going on over here, uh, keeping us busy. So you can check all that on all of our Twitters. And where can they check out your Twitter, Adam? Yeah, they can find me at Adam Brandon 84 If you look at my pinned tweet at the moment, you'll see that I've combined a couple of my loves to write an article. Um, basically, Norwich have a very impressive Argentinian attacking midfielder called Emi Buendia. Um, and I've basically looked at his very interesting backstory, um, how he's currently doing at Norwich and sort of speculated a little bit of the... F- on his future um, and that's got a really good reaction not just from Norwich fans quite a few people have have been in contact about that and uh, yeah so if you're interested in South American football then certainly check that out because it's a really interesting story um, of how a player from uh, Mar del Plata in on the coast of Argentina left there at 11 years old and is now plying his trade in the fine city of Norwich at 21 years old, a decade later. So, so yeah, please check that out. And Adam, don't forget to tell the listeners the big news as to where they can now find our shows. Ah, uh, yes, a good point, Austin. Um, yeah, you can, you can also find the World Football Index now on Spotify. So if you have that app, then, then please find us on there. And, uh, and if you like this show, then also please rate and review us on iTunes and, uh, and tell us how much you love us. Or maybe hate us, I don't know, but yeah. Whatever you do, just give it five stars anyway. Okay, and all what's left to say really is a big thank you to Tom, Austin and Simon for joining me once again um, to discuss what was a pretty chaotic um weekend well i can't say of action but of stuff going on on the field um and uh and i'm sure we'd be back 
soon to, to discuss more. Hopefully, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to actually discuss um, the second leg of this final, finally. Um, and also a huge thanks to our listeners as ever. And it's goodbye.